How would you feel if you got an Uber, then a few hours later saw they had taken an extra 80 bucks out of your account? It's for a stain on the seat that you don't know about. Sounds fair? Well, apparently it is because you signed up to it in the T's and C's, terms and conditions. Uh, the person uh, is getting her money back. This is a true story. But it does bring back the debate that we don't have enough time in our life to read terms and conditions, T's and C's. A study by The Atlantic found that if you made a New Year's resolution to read the terms and conditions of every major website you visit, it would take from January to mid-April. Unfeasible. And I think the uh, T's and C's for... Uh, Uber around about 12,800 words, as I understand. With us is Associate Professor in Commercial Law, Alex Sims. Uh, Alex, welcome to the panel. Hi, Wallace. What do you make of this case? Um, Well, it's um, fairly typical. And this has happened before, especially overseas. And there have actually been examples of Uber drivers, you know, falsely claiming that this has occurred. And the money's taken... And some people, most people don't realise, um, or they try to get the money back, but nothing happens. So it may well have happened here, but also how do you know it was that customer and not another customer? That was, um, this is just, this is, I think the Privacy Commission termed it, uh, click and consent to T's and C's. What's the contract law like in Aotearoa around this? Uh, um well, yes, if you have um, clicked, um, you've accepted them, but it may be an unfair contract term because what's happening is Uber is the one that's unilaterally deciding, yep, there's a breach here and, you know, deducting money. But they were on the right. Well, they're, they're determining. No, no, but the thing is they're making the determination. They're not asking you and coming back and saying, you know, did you do that? But they have a right and to, under the conditions that you signed off, You have a, they, have, they have a right to do that. No, but there are some things that are unfair. Just because you've signed something, it doesn't mean to say that, and, and also quite yeah. often, or not with this one, but other ones, it's, it's a breach of another um, act. So, say, for example, it's quite common in um, contracts to say um, we're not liable for any loss or damage arising from the use. Okay, You can't do that. That is actually illegal in New Zealand. Is that right? Uh, Yes. So just because you've signed it, it doesn't mean to say um, that they can enforce it. But this is where sort of the kicker comes in. If something is an unfair contract term, you can't do anything about it. Only the Commerce Commission can go to court and challenge that. So we're really out of step with Australia and the UK. So we copied their law on unfair contract terms, but not all of it. Not like the oh, most important. Thing. That's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Palmjeet, your thoughts or your questions on this? Yeah, and I agree uh, with you, Alex, that if you're signing a term like this, you assume that you will be given an opportunity right? to uh, defend your case and that uh, somebody will come to you and say this has, this has happened but and no. this amount. But in this case, nothing nothing of that sort happened. And for Commerce Commission, we know how busy they are. They won't have time for individual cases, mm. will they? Um, no, they're not individual, but this is much wider. So how many people have got Uber? You know, mm. probably over a million people. And it's worth it. So, for, for example, a few years ago, the Commerce Commission looked over um, 80s hot cards. So hundreds of thousands have got it. Um, and they got about 20 terms changed because they were unfair. So it's, it's well worth the Commerce Commission having a very close look at Uber's contracts.
So does, does that mean that uh, that should happen now because this has mm. been already in media? I don't know if they're already looking at it or not, but this is not the first time it's happened. It's happened, obviously, a lot of times, and people just haven't done anything about it because the other problem, of course, is that, yes, you could get um, challenge it with your credit card company and get what we call a charge back to get the money back, yes. but then you lose. <laughs> You'll be deleted from the Uber app unless you get another credit card. So people are... You know, it's either that or don't use Uber, really. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. it's, um, uh, do you think it's, it's a matter of uh, numbers as well? Because most people would not contest it. They will say, oh, this, okay, something happened. Okay, I'll pay the $20. I pay the $30. It's okay. I don't have the energy to send 500 emails back and forth. And the companies kind of prey on that or rely on that. And if only one or two people reply and ask for or contest it, they get their money back. So do they do like a, is there a feeling of the numbers and most people are not contesting it so that this keeps going and going? Um, uh, Probably yes. I mean, it's not worth it. And in the story, Mm. you know, she had to really, really go to quite some lengths to get the money back. And so most people just wouldn't care. It's not worth the hassle. Plus, as I said before, if they do, you know, want to get the money back through the bank, then, they will not have an Uber um, app mm. anymore. Uber will disconnect them. Alex, um, on Consumer NZ, they did a very interesting um, sort of uh, item, rather, about what's known as chargebacks, and they had a couple of questions. So here's a couple of examples to make it quite clear. Uh, I ordered a brand of TV but was delivered another. The company won't refund my money. Will I qualify for a chargeback? Yes. I paid for a lounge suite, but the business went bankrupt before it was delivered. Can I get a chargeback? Yes. And another one here, finally, I bought a computer from a store the other day, but have found a better deal elsewhere. Can I reverse the purchase? No. Yeah, that's, all, that's all correct. And that's why you've got a real advantage using credit cards, because you've, oh. you've got that. And we've seen that recently with some people that have booked flights as well. They've been able to get money back. Um, when there's been cancellations and things. But it's not sort of indefinitely either. You can't sort of go back two years type of thing. Um, but there certainly are advantages of using a credit card over internet banking or paying with cash. Let's go around the panel before you go, Alex. Uh, around the panel on this. When was the last time you read a contract for, say, your iPhone or your new computer? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't bother, but just, we laugh about that. But um, it, is a real, it is a real issue. And what is increasingly happening in some areas is for contracts to be converted into, like, comics. And really? Visual mm. and, yes, it's a real thing. They're called mm. visual contracts. Um, and it's a way of imparting a lot of information very quickly. You know, a picture is worth a thousand years. And so they've oh, done that with um, employment contracts. They've also, even, like, high-level commercial contracts, doing that as well. Amazing. Emerging. I think Amazing. We're, we're signing multiple contracts every day because for each and everything, there's new app to be downloaded. I recently went to a car park and they had a different app parkable to download. And I downloaded it, I used it only once, but I accepted the terms and conditions and I paid and all that. Now I'm on the app and I've accepted the terms. And, and these kind of things happens all the time where whenever we download an app, we accept it. And I never it's read it. A, yeah. yeah, I never read it. Um, Alex? Just on that, yes. so quickly, I do think, though, because those, especially Uber, those ones, they're affecting hundreds of thousands of people, mm. that is what the Commerce Commission should be looking at. Definitely. Like I said with the hop cards, the AT, yeah. 
it got mm. significant changes made, and it can do that, and it should be doing that. Oh, that's mm. worth a pass to follow up on the panel. Uh, kia ora, Alex. Thank you very much for uh, raising the issue with us. Uh, that is a associate professor in commercial law, Alex Simpson. Just imagine you go for uh, a corporate job, and they said, could you just watch this Ren and Stimpy-like cartoon for us before you sign? <laughs> Imagine, you know, reading word by word all the terms and conditions. I'd I don't think it. I don't think I'll be signing anything then. No, 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 no. Like an Aaron Z video, through, there's a rap yeah. song and everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, 16 to 5. The panel are international, by the way, just sticking in. We'll do more tomorrow. But um, I um, offered to open the, um, the text machine and the email to those who really um, love they're cats, not any other animals, because Edamon uh, did an IBT around that. Wallace, two cats here, Willow and Luna. They hate each other, says Andrew. <laughs> uh, Emma, Jean and Jay says, um, dedication to my wonderful cat, Ruby Tuesday. Um, cats, my cat is an X-stray that I adopted. It's called Tikka Masala, and, oh, uh, a.k.a. Cat Curry, and he's my world. <laughs> um, another one here, my cat, Sushi, visited my ex-partner in ICU daily and snuggled up to him on the bed. The first time I took her was in the first time he opened his eyes from a two-week induced coma. Oh, my God. Cats. Cats. Get a cat, everyone. But keep them inside, though. Keep them inside. So um, keep, the, keep the, the love of the cats yeah. coming, and we'll read some out tomorrow in the Friday mailbag. Palmjeet Pamar and Ed Amon with me today. Different topic, as we know, literacy and numeracy is a big issue in Aotearoa. Why? 35% of 15-year-olds in this country were not at the required levels for reading or maths, a recent survey found. You have the likes of the EMA saying that between 17% and 22% of employers said job applicants were lacking in literacy, numeracy and IT skills. But one approach is showing results. A teaching approach at a school in Kaipoi has captured the attention of Associate Minister, Education Minister Jan Tanetti, who visited to see firsthand an approach they call structured literacy. And structured literacy has been described as revolutionary. With us to talk about it is Jason Miles, Principal of Kaipoi North. Jason, kia ora. Sure, Wallace. Thanks for the invitation to join you today. Pleasure. So, not the only school doing this, but uh, by any means. But um, I've heard this before. Explain to me what structured literacy is all about. Well, structured literacy is a explicit, systematic, and sequential way of teaching children um, their phonological skills and and how to decode words. So in New Zealand, we've um, been using an approach called whole language, yeah. and it's, it's focusing mainly on language comprehension. Um, the difference between what we're doing is that we're, we're taking it right back to um, the start of what children should be learning when, they, when they're getting foundation skills. Which is? So, which is the, the sounds that each letter makes. Right, phonetic. Yeah, phonetic and making sure that uh, the children understand those sounds before they have a book put in front of them. Okay, that's really interesting. So understanding the sounds that a letter makes, am I right in saying that has proven to have worked? Yeah, the, the, the way that we're doing it, with the structured literacy through the, the science of reading um, research is that the brain learns to read in one way. 
So we start with the very smallest units of sound and then we build up to the more complex units of sound. So the children learn in a sequential way. So they're starting with very simple sounds. They're using that with the teacher um, around the teaching table. And then once they master those, those skills, they then get a book, which is a decodable book. And anything in that book is, um, shouldn't be new to them. So they're getting that confidence right from day ah. from the first time they have a, have a, a book in front of them. Gotcha. And so it's got the year of government because it's, uh, the research has been going on for, for, for quite some time. Uh, Palmjeet. Yeah, just a couple of points, Jason. Where did you get this idea from? Obviously, you would have seen it working somewhere. And the second thing, I think in my view, the biggest resource in this uh, kind of teaching would be trained teachers. And how are you making sure that you have that capability in your school? To, to yes. mm. So so we um, were introduced to it through a resource teacher of literacy um, who um, had been working up in the North Island um, and came down to the South Island to work with our schools um, and introduced us to what is called the science of reading, the, the evidence behind it, so that our teachers then learnt about the why of and, and how, how children read, um, learn to read, and we spent some time as teachers um, learning about this and then prototyping it in our school. So we worked really hard um, initially to learn, to relearn how to teach reading, because in New Zealand schools, um, teachers have been taught uh, the whole to use whole language, um, which is looking at looking at um, the whole words. I see. Uh, I see. Um, and, Ed. Yeah. Uh, Ed. So it's. Um, I mean, it, the the numbers are and the numbers are quite appalling, and this seems to be a fantastic idea to uh, to apply in schools. But in your point of view, what happened? I mean, it was fine in the. I mean, we've had literacy levels higher in the past, and then all of a sudden it's going down, and then we need new strategies. So, what do you think happened uh, along the way that we lost our way in terms of our reading? Well, I think that the we've been focusing too much on whole language. I know that, that schools are, and teachers have been learning about um, phonics for a while, but it's not been in a, in a sequential, systematic and explicit way. So we were teaching children the sounds of words, but it wasn't in the order that they needed to, t- to learn it. So the way that we're doing it, they're learning it in, in a very set order, and then they're applying those skills when they're reading the decodables. Hey, just finally, before we go, Jason, I've got to ask you, um, how are the students responding to it? Oh, look, the children, the, the way that they um, it has built their confidence, you know, the children, the, we get one shot at, at teaching foundation skills and reading. And the children, you know, are so proud of the way that they can look at a, a word and they can they know, have the skills to work it out. Previously, they needed to look at a picture or have oh. a guess at what words could have been. But now, you know, when they have a book in, or a word in front of them, they have those skills to decode it. And that's the key. Can um, you give me one example, just to get it crystal clear in our listeners' minds? Give me one, let's say snake. Yeah, so we we wouldn't start with that. We'd start with uh, a word like sit, so sit, and the children would would know what each each sound of those letters would would be, um, and then so they they'd make the sounds and then they put the sounds together and then they say the word, so sit, sit, and then 
they come to a word like sit again in a different context and a different book and they still have those skills. Amazing. It's my second language, English. And I always found one thing very interesting about English because each sound has a lot of exceptions. So how do you deal with the, you know, the PL and the PH and how does, I guess that would be a coding for that as well. Yeah, so that's a bit further up. That's yeah. about stage six, those sort of, those, those blends. Let's just so, start with sit. <laughs> yeah. Let's just stay with sit for now, yeah, uh, Jason. There's seven, seven stages. Yeah. And yeah, the, we they, we build build up their knowledge so that when they get to those more complex sounds, they have mm. the the skills and tool, tools tools to, Very interesting. to solve them. Kia ora, Jason. Thanks for being with us on the panel, uh, Jason Miles, principal of Kaipo. I'm just absolutely entranced and stunned and just amazed how young people soak in that mm. knowledge and start putting those those words together. It's um, it's always intrigued me. Yeah. Uh, seven to five, the panel, RNZ National. Well, here was the atmosphere after the winning try in the packed Stadium 4, State of Origin. Christchurch, that could be you one day. Uh, <laughs> but the Shield is returning north of the border after the Maroons prevailed in one of what they're calling the greatest rugby matches ever seen. Queensland's 22-12 victory has already been hailed as one of the great origins in history. Nine commentator Matt Thompson said that this game, well, it was from another planet. And who was there? Tamamuru, producer of the RNZ show, Mapuna, he uh, took that audio. Uh, Tama, kia ora. Good to have you back on the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you. Great to be back. Would you describe it as one of the great games? Yes, I would. And I would actually just preface my answer by saying I spent 20 years uh, living overseas and I've been to FA Cup finals at Wembley. I've been to World Cup rugby games in Europe. I've been to Yankees games at Yankee Stadium. I mean, I've been to a lot of international stadiums. And this, in terms of atmosphere, in terms of the quality of the game, in terms of the results, it's right up there in the elite for anything I've ever seen. Unbelievable. What made it so? Well, the origin history is always there. And I think having a tradition uh, it could be like the All Blacks versus England or Australia. You've got to have that first. And having that first and having uh, the first game won by the Queensland, but then they got hammered in the second one and losing their star player, all the ingredients were there because all of the pre-match uh, commentary was that, OK, we can't take the Brisbane factor, the home crowd factor out of it, but we think the Blues will prevail. And I think you put all of those things together and then you cannot... Uh, talk about this without mentioning a certain Māori boy called Kalen Ponga who ran for 325 metres last night and scored one of the decisive tries which was right in front of me and of course he was declared publicly as his ambition to play for the All Blacks and he was the man of the match and uh, his jinking runs were absolutely something to behold, they really were you were there. I can sense the excitement. You're talking to a Kiwi audience, Tama. I'm not quite sure if Palm Jeet or Edamon, who's a major cricket fan. But yeah, I had a question. I mean, you're in there, and um, I guess you're in a neutral capacity. Do you, with the whole 
uh, atmosphere of the game, do you lose yourself into the co pop of it and just just start siding towards one side or you <laughs> start following another side? Does that ha- did it happen? Ah, uh, well, uh, there's no neutrality here. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, I'm very much Queensland, and actually, I think I got to paint a bit of the atmosphere up in the stands. Yeah, you heard some of the cheering. But there was one Queensland supporter over my left shoulder who throughout the game was saying things like, get those blue dogs, hunt the blue dogs. <laughs> and then uh, at one point there was a brawl, a full-on brawl between the two teams. But yeah. it started between a Queensland player and a New South Wales player. Now, the New South Welshman threw about four punches which didn't connect. And another guy over my right shoulder said, this should be a penalty for the quality of the punches, mate. My mum throws better punches than that. And then you had another guy. 10 metres in front of me, who was sort of like the stirrer or the rabble rouser, but he was standing up all the time going, Queensland hard, Queensland hard, and then huge sections of the crowd would join in, and you could hear that chant going up, must have been about 20,000 people. I mean, that was the kind of atmosphere, and and sitting right next to me was a New South Wales legend called Steve Blocker Roach, a huge forward from the 1980s. And he sat there with a poker face the whole time with Queensland supporters around him. With Queensland supporters taking trays of beer right in front of him, including myself. And I was actually just after a pastor, my cousin said, hey, bro, that, that's, that's Block of Roach. And I was like, oh, God, it is. And, uh, you know, at one point, a young woman just in front of me, a Queensland supporter, was throwing beer up in the air, celebrating. I mean, it, it, that, that uh, audio at the beginning... Is just a snapshot, but what I saw around me, uh, it really was something. And like I say, I compare it to the places I've seen around the world, it's right up there. So here you are in one of the great games, uh, perhaps ever, great, at least great league matches as well. Do you have a better handle on state of origin now that you've experienced it firsthand in such a way, Tama? Definitely, because of course, uh, when I spoke to you yesterday, I was at the Caxton pub, the famous pub close to the ground. And Caxton Street, all of its bars were humming. And you had those little fire machines, you know, spitting out fire. You had a guy banging on drums in the middle of the road because they close off the road with police locked at each end. And he was screaming out, Queensland, Queensland, and banging the drum. And then, uh, you know, so, and you had, you had mostly, it has to be said, good banter between yeah. the Blues Time up. And, and Queensland supporters. We're into the you pips. We're into the pips, mate, but uh, it's a dream one day. Well done. Uh, Palmjeet Pramai, Edamon, kia ora to you both. Thanks for being with me today.